0: Hey, welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm your host, Chloe Lula. On today's episode of the RA Exchange, we have a very interesting guest, the gender-fluid avant-pop star, Dorian Electra. Electra is an American artist whose work delves deep into philosophy, post-capitalism, political radicalization, the internet zeitgeist, and queer aesthetics, all with a tongue-in-cheek and hyper-camp twist. Electra made their public music debut in 2010 with the music video, I'm in Love with Friedrich Hayek, a ballad to The Economist who influenced Reagan and Thatcher's free market ideology. Then Electra became increasingly interested in the power of how thought influences modern culture and began using music to try and expand minds, writing pop tunes about Descartes and other major figures who shaped the contemporary political and economic landscape. As they started their songwriting career, they were simultaneously working as a stripper, channeling their exploration of gender into an early career series of high-production pop videos that told the history of feminism, drag, and vibrators. Electra's first full-length album came out in 2019. It was called Flamboyant, and it was a collection of ultra-synthetic, cartoonishly masculine pop that they delivered with a drawn-on mustache. They're already working on their third LP, Fanfare, which is due out on October 6th. And so we decided to invite them in for a conversation. They talk about it in this RE exchange moderated by Gnzeli Yalkinkaya, who's a writer and a podcast host at Dazed. They ask Elektra about the underpinnings of the new collection. With fanfare, Electra says, they're interested in exploring what it means to be a fan in the social media age.
1: You know, as we've grown like increasingly secular, people still want something to give their life greater meaning and that they find that in connecting with others, uh, largely online, through whether it's fandom of musical artists, politicians, etc., and that that sense of community has taken the place of religion in a lot of our mainstream society.
0: The first single, Sodom and Gomorrah, provides a little insight into the vibe of the rest of the LP. Elektra imagines what it would be like to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, two biblical cities destroyed by God for their wickedness in the book of Genesis, but as a tourist in 2023 interested in taking photos and buying merch. (laughs) They call it a horrifying and delightful story that they see mirrored in our cultural preoccupation with visiting tourist sites like the shipwreck of the Titanic in the ruins of Pompeii, which has prompted Electra to think about who profits from these objects, souvenirs, and what it means to take some piece of a person or an experience home with you. What does a
1: culture or a history get boiled down to that people want to take a piece of and take it with them home? I'm obsessed with souvenirs for that reason. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's emblematic of like an experience. It's not just like a regular object. It's like, it's a transcendent object. Mm-hmm. And I I like the idea of, like, trying to create something like that, too.
0: They explore a lot of this really fascinating territory in their work, which, in my mind, seems to juxtapose, but they make it work. So it's a pleasure to have them on the show. And without further ado,
2: here is the one and only Dorian Electra. Hi, I'm Ginselli. I'm a writer, internet researcher, and the host of Logged On, the day's podcast, Today, I'm here with Dorian Electra in London to talk about their upcoming album, Fanfare, out on October 6. Dorian is the pop star behind recent singles Freak Mode and Sodom and Gomorrah. It follows on from their 2020 album My Agenda, which dove into the shadowy badlands of internet culture with maximalist explorations of post-capitalism, incels, climate change, political radicalization, and the occasional queer furry militia. Their new album Fanfare is an exploration of contemporary fan culture and features everything from anonymous messaging boards and parasocial relationships, unholy communions with biblical figures, and horny puppets like the Miss Piggy kind. So with Fanfare, there's these kind of extremely online elements still. There's tracks called Anon, Man Made Horrors, Touch Grass, which will kind of hint at like the internet zeitgeist. But I feel like it also moves into this new territory as well, Um, kind of both like thematically and sonically kind of asking what it means to be a fan in the social media age. So why was this a topic that you wanted to explore? You know, during 2020, I
1: experienced hyper online everything as everybody else did. And everything was sort of through the lens of social media interactions, whether that was like friends and family or celebrities and fans or politicians and supporters or detractors or et cetera. I mean, everything (laughs) was. So I just feel like there was so much of all of society and like social interactions laid out in front of us in such an intense way that it definitely took me a minute to step back from that and process like what had happened politically, socially, et cetera, and as well as personally, like my own experiences with interacting with my fans as a musician during lockdown and in the past few years, really started solidifying this idea in my head that fandom is the new religion of Mm -hmm. our capitalist society and that you know, as we've grown, like, increasingly secular, people still want something to give their life greater meaning and that they find that in connecting with others largely online mm-hmm. through whether it's fandom of musical artists, politicians, etc. And that that sense of community has taken the place of religion in a lot of our mainstream society, you know, given something people to rally around, whether that's your BTS stand or your Trump supporter or whatever, you know?
2: Yeah, there's definitely like a kind of cult of the personality surrounding all of it. And I think it definitely is so intrinsically tied to the way that the internet kind of commodifies us and our identities. Like we're all kind of like celebrity or not, like influenced by these market powers. Like the friends we post, the locations we share are all kind of like distilling us into these personal brands. But um, I definitely feel like listening to the album, it feels, or my impression of it at least, feels like a double-edged sword. Like on one hand... Like it is a scary thing. Like you kind of get like maybe the downsides of fame and the downsides of fandom. But at the same time, like this underpinning message, which I really feel like um, particularly as the album kind of carries on is this idea that, yeah, everyone does want to be a star when it kind of boils down to it. So what are your experiences of of all of this? I mean, I think I grew up feeling like some kind of pressure to
1: want to be acknowledged or be successful in like the public eye that that was somehow more validating or more like a marker of success, you know, that fame is a marker of success rather than like you're an anonymous teacher that's changing the lives of like dozens of students like every year, you know, and you're, you're, you're making the world a better place. So it's like, but what if your platform could be bigger and you could reach millions of people at once? You know, there's just something like that is very embedded in that, especially me being a millennial and growing up in the era of internet being the personal brand and everything you did whether that was making your website after college and like mm. handing out you know back when we did business cards and yeah. you know social media that's very different from like the gen z approach to social media i think in a lot of ways that millennials have the idea of like my instagram is my brand it's curated i am the face of every, everything i do whether i'm like a dog walker yeah. and you know i have a website <laughs> or or i'm a doctor and i'm posting on tiktok or i'm a pop star and and I'm sharing my music online, like the individual is the face of their work. And like the persona that you project online is part of the media that you are putting out there for people to experience.
2: Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, it really reminds me of that meme, you know, of uh, like, it's like, oh, someone's dying. And it's like this, like, like this lengthy line of people. And it's just like, I'm a DJ. It's like, oh, I like own a label. Yeah, <laughs> And it's like, no. Um, but no, at the same time, yeah, I guess, A lot of the kind of themes in the album touch on the different facets of kind of being perceived in this kind of like very online or pervasive like digital kind of context. Um, What were some of the kind of experiences that you felt recently that kind of touch on, touch on these topics? I had some experiences in
1: 2020 and 2021 where I feel like I saw a really I mean, I hate to use the word toxic because it's so overused, but like it's a it's a giving like 2018 buzzword of um, but uh, or 2016 buzzword, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I did really see some toxic behavior online, especially for like really young kids. You know, mm-hmm. like the kind of social pressures that exist in like IRL are enough yeah, for I for know. kids, and then seeing like every 14 year old is now like being berated or publicly shamed on twitter for expressing something or like or you know berating others or like everything is bullying you know what i mean i'm just like god this i mean we're in like a mental health crisis you know because of it and also like our economic you know it's not just about the technology it's like our whole you know economic collapse and an impending like you know disaster that is also fueling that it's not disconnected Um, It's not just phone equal bad, because that's such an easy (laughs) thing for people to say, you know, and I want to convey a message that's much more complex than that. Yeah, I just saw some stuff uh, and and experienced stuff, too, like from fans. And I was like, this is really unhealthy. You know, there's so much Mm -hmm. positivity that can come from being an artist and inspiring others and sharing yourself and your work. And like as a young person, I was really inspired by so many musicians, especially. But then there's also and I was obsessed, too. I was a total stand before the word stand was in the common usage. Wait, who did you? (laughs) the horrors was a big one yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and um i'd say like that was the big band that i really was obsessed with where they inspired me to like start making music on my own in garage band and like dressing up and like making music videos and all of that like starting like age 14 and whatever yeah so i mean that is super beautiful and positive and like an amazing part of my life so i know what it feels like to be a stan absolutely and and I made friends like through the fan community online in like MySpace days and stuff yeah, like that. You know, yeah. it was it was incredible. Like I was from Houston and I felt like I could connect with people that were like from all over. I had like a friend in New Zealand and like people in places that I have still never been. Compels. Like exactly, yeah. And uh there's so much beauty to those kind of human connections that can come from from online technology. But I just, you know, personally experienced the highs and the lows of it. You know what I mean? Like, I experienced a lot of, like, fan community recently in, like, 2020 and 2021 and so forth. And... I also experienced the really negative parts, parts that made me like super anxious all the time and want to withdraw from all of that, especially when we weren't really able to go out. And that was our only form of socialization. It was really intense.
2: Mm, Yeah, no, I definitely feel like, yeah, kind of 2020, 2021, like, and I guess your album and like the last one as well, like my agenda, like does touch on these themes of kind of being young and termly online. And I think with the pandemic and we felt this a lot in like the way that the kind of music and the sound of that, like really the chaos of it was really reflected. But I guess in the kind of years following, like, yeah, we've all had to kind of leave our like digital, either safe places or prisons um, and kind of step back out into the real world, touch grass a little bit. And I guess like it's taking people a lot of time to kind of come to terms with that and like recalibrate. So this album's kind of been two, three years in the making. You still touch on extremely kind of online themes for sure. But like, how would you say it's kind of different to my agenda? Yeah, musically, I was really
1: wanting to return to like physical instruments and things, even though there's actually not that, there's really not that many. There's like guitar and some bass recorded, but a lot of it is digital samples, MIDI. And musically, you know, like you said, we had this like, bedroom hyperpop moment in 2020, especially that felt really connected to like, you know, people inside. You're a pop star in your bedroom. You're terminally online. It's digital. It's electronic. And with this album, I really wanted to return to like orchestral sounds, a lot of like timpani and like horns and guitar. Cause I really, I grew up on rock music as well. Like that was my first love and also musical theater, which was another one of my even younger, like, you know, passions of my life. And I feel like the, like, theatrics and, like, the epicness of all of it was just something that I really wanted to feel on this album, you know? Um, The feeling, like, making music that felt like it was meant to be played, like, in a stadium or, like, in a huge theater, like, packed with people and just, like, has that energy. Like, we have some songs that have, like, crowd noises, like, baked in because it's just, you know, having the kind of, like, I don't know, like, I'm always wanting something... Bigger, like more extreme and like more um, something that feels like elevated. And I think that for me, that's like just epic over the top. But, like, you know, sometimes melodramatic, sometimes absurd. But musically, I've grown a little tired of all the electronic stuff. I still obviously love it and I'll come back around to it. But I just wanted to hear something that I haven't heard as much of lately, you know?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, I like listening to the album, it definitely has this kind of anthemic quality. Obviously, the epicness is, like, very, like, Dorian Hallmark for me, like, and I think one of the reasons I first connected to your music to begin with is this kind of, like, the merging of high and low culture, cringe and bass culture, like, you feel that both, like, thematically and sonically, and I feel that that's not only kind of emblematic of how we, like, digest culture today, but also, yeah, like, I feel... It's very much an embodiment of like post-irony and remix culture and like listening to this album in particular, like you have like new metal mixed with Beethoven, mixed with like I wanna say steampunk.
1: And like I'm interested <laughs> to know where you hear the steampunk, because I'm like I, I wanna be like, yes, wholeheartedly, I'm all about it. But now I'm like, wait, I don't know if that was intentional, but
2: maybe just the seam pours out of my pores, you know? I mean, <laughs> I Maybe that's it. my <laughs> own projection to be honest. I, I wanna say that there's a coax like backbone to the whole thing. A whether Back with- <laughs> like whether people pick up on it or not that's just my take yes. and I will take that to the grave yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I guess like I was also thinking I, I mean like when we first connected it was for an article on Resident Advisor again it was a 2021 article called When Medieval Mysticism Conquers the Dance Floor which kind of looked at the neo-medieval resurgence mixed with like techno-feudalism like again we spoke about your kind of epic chord progressions and kind of bringing in like hardstyle elements and obviously remix culture is such a big part of that and your recent sound and it's been such a pleasure to see like how that's been evolving to kind of incorporate new things like even aesthetically in the music videos. Like the fact that on like your first single for this album, um, Freak Mode, you do get like frat boys. Are they tap dancing? I can't even remember. I- Irish dancing, Irish yeah. dancing, okay, yeah, like all these <laughs> things. I'm like, for me, that is so Dorian Electra. Like, <laughs> if there's one thing that I want people
1: to remember me when I die, Frack boys, Irish dancing, put that on my grave. So Period,
2: period. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know, like, what draws you to this kind of, like, this mishmashing of, like, high and low culture and where do you get these references from? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is, like,
1: I really get a kick out of connecting things that I think normally would not go together um, or things that are not seen as fashionable or cool in any way. I find, Mm -hmm. like, so much joy, and I hate the word tickles my brain, but for some reason it does, (laughs) like, it honestly does, like, it stimulates some part of my mind and body to think, like, how could we do frat guy but make it fashion? Or, like, there's a lot of, like, scary imagery, like, frat guys are very threatening, like, you Mm. see that, and especially in the U.S., it's, like, the archetypal, like, socially dominant male like maybe a bully or like somebody that yeah. called you the f-word like in school or something like that but there's also like a sexuality that permeates throughout it because of mm-hmm. that fear that's also connected to it and I love tapping into that and yeah like either sexualizing or making something fashion that is not normally that and same with the tap the Irish dancing like I kind of started for me when I was on tour in Paris last year and my choreographer, Kevin, just randomly during a sound check to the song F the World, which is like one of the most like harsh noise, like hardcore songs of my last album, just had gotten these clogs in Amsterdam. And he just like starts clogging on this wooden floor at the venue. And I'm just like, wait, wait. Oh, my God. Like, everybody stop everything. Like, I whip my phone out. I'm like, okay, let's run it back. Like, play the track and, like, film a video of him. It just exploded something in my mind. I was like, this is the most hard shit I have ever seen in my fucking life. Like, there is nothing more hardcore than... Irish dancing. I mean, he didn't know what he was doing at the time, since then we've taken classes and like gotten fully,
2: oh yeah, no, oh I go God, like amazing. every Wednesday in LA, yeah <laughs> every
1: yeah, I'm not very good yet, but I'm, I'm getting there yeah, like, there's something so stoic about how the Irish dancing's like hands at the side, it's very metal to me yeah, I see yeah. it as that, and I I kept seeing it on TikTok. But since then, I've seen amazing, like, people Irish dancing to, like, little Uzi Vert songs. And, like, it's just stuff that I'm like, fuck, this goes so hard. This makes so much sense. But it was just something I felt. And then, like, yeah. I'm now seeing other people pick up on it in a beautiful way that I just want to see more of this,
2: like, propagate throughout the world. <laughs> no, completely. And, like, what I found really funny as well is, um, wait, what's the girl equivalent of a frat house again? Sorority. Uh, oh, yeah, the sororities. Like, they, didn't, they do, like, a yes. challenge on TikTok. And I was, like, yes. seeing it come full circle like that. I think that's like, A, a testament to the song, but also just like, lol. (laughs) Totally. I mean, it's all about infiltrating the normies, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that's what pop music has the
1: power to do, is that it can take some really weird shit or a really weird person or a really weird sound and it makes it accessible to anyone. And like anyone on many different levels of ironic or sincere can get Mm -hmm. genuine enjoyment from it. And that's what I love about pop music as a medium.
2: No, completely. And same goes with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like taking these and frat boys and frat houses, like taking these very typically, I guess, like very binary, very like heteronormative ways of being and kind of completely subverting it in its head. So that is kind of like a queer expression of just like freedom, I guess, and like insanity and mixing it with all these other kind of weird online or offline freaky signifiers that just kind of make it a celebration for like freaks generally which I enjoy.
1: To me it's all about like what are aesthetics that have been denied like Mm. to queer people especially and just like how fun it is to take those and fuck around with them you know. Um, I want to see like The preppy aesthetic come back in a big way with the boat shoes and the like oh no okay boat shoes I put my foot down for boat
2: shoes I'm sorry steampunk yes boat shoes no yeah just you wait just you wait So, um, this album particularly, you worked with a lot of collaborators. Um, I really love how all the different songs you can really hear, like different producers, kind of like um, individual kind of styles uh, coming out. You've worked with Clarence Clarity, Weston Allen, uh, KCMQ, Count Baldor. I guess I'm interested to hear about the collaboration process and yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, collaborating is everything. I can- so lucky to have so many amazing people that are so like multi-talented and able to like do something that sounds like them but it's also it's us and it's so it's like greater than the sum of its parts also Mm -hmm. you know i just feel like um i always get something amazingly different or like a new perspective with everyone that i'm working with like clarence clarity for freak mode and anon and symphony and want to be a star um were the ones that he worked on and he just has this like Max Martin approach to pop structure and chords but then also this absolutely insane like maximalist production style that I'm obsessed with that's like he'll literally put in things like work on it when I'm not there and then send it to me for mixing and i'm with the mixing engineer and we're like wait what is that thing back there this is in symphony we're <laughs> mixing symphony with uh, my mixing engineer lars and we were like i was like whoa wait wait, hold on what is that like at this you know timestamp?" and he's like solos the track i'm like holy shit and it's literally clarence clarity singing an entire boy band chorus of harmonies actually it's like and he's like oh it's just meant to be like tucked in the back like just to add a little <laughs> thing i'm like bro i'm like I want a solo that, like, we need a whole, like, you singing a cappella remix, like, boy band, like, in sync style. Um, and just, like, there's always so many, like, fun surprises. Or, like, Count Baldur, obviously, like, king of, of, like, b- using bizarre sound effects that you would never think of in the most, like, beautifully musical way possible. And yeah, just combining, like, especially Baldur, combining, like, crazily different um, things and juxtaposing so many genres and sounds that are not usually meant to go together that are just like there's also like a humor to it all that for me makes it exciting because I always say like if I'm not like if all of us aren't like cracking up laughing in the studio or crying it's the song you know then I'm like the song might not be that good like we when we were making Sodom and Gomorrah you know we're like laughing our asses off but then I can go and perform it like completely seriously and Mm -hmm. like you know that just has that duality to it. But I think that there's something about like humor that it doesn't mean like laugh out loud, funny, like Weird Al, though. Mad respect, Weird Al, big icon, inspo, would love to collab if you're listening, bro. You know, there's just something to humor that I think is about the element of surprise. If I'm laughing, it's it indicates there's something novel going on. It's like, oh, whoa, I didn't expect that, you know, and that's how I want my music to be. I want music to feel like that when I'm listening to it as well, that there's things that surprise
2: me, you know? Yeah, especially if it kind of like prompts this internal dialogue as well and kind of going off what you were saying about like these extreme sounds um yeah like that's definitely something I feel when I listen to your music I think a lot of people could agree I guess um I'm I'm interested to know what what it is about this extremity these kind of like elements of surprise this very like maximalist like symphony I guess that interests you and is like Yeah, what is it, really? I know. I think a lot of it really comes down to my personality
1: and the kind of things that I'm drawn to. Like, I definitely get bored very easily. I am, like, diagnosed ADHD, but who isn't nowadays? I mean, (laughs) mean, same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and, um, you know, my attention span being short means that I need to have something that commands my attention and, and twists and turns so that I can stay interested in it. Like, I also want to feel something extreme when i'm performing my music i want to like you know whether it's like absurd whether it's like highly sexual whether it's like deeply emotional i want to like feel the extremities of the human experience in a way i think i think a lot of musicians would agree Mm. with that but i think like i'm also not really a casual music listener like I think a lot of okay.
2: not the uh, average music. Listener. I'm not average.
1: I'm not an average music listener or enjoyer. Uh, no, but um, I'm so ADHD that it's really hard for me to listen to music in the background. Okay. So a lot of people will have music on while they're working or like while they're doing dishes or cleaning. And for me, I really can't do that unless I'm like driving or like on the plane or something, okay. because I just start analyzing the music, picking it apart. And I'm also extremely emotionally sensitive to music. So Mm -hmm. when I listen to music, it's like an event. It's like, okay, I am focusing all my attention. It's like a thing, unless I'm like at a show or like a club or something. Mm -hmm. So to me, music is not casual. I think a lot of people enjoy like background chill music and I do love and respect that, but I don't think that that's something that I would ever really be that good at making because it's just not like where my brain is at at least right now you know i like things that are just like when you're listening to it it's giving a whole story it's giving like something to think about as well as like something to like move to you know it's just i think yeah what i'm drawn to
2: right now no definitely i can definitely relate to that i can't listen to music with lyrics especially if i'm writing because obviously interference Mm -hmm. Um, but i guess with this album as well it definitely feels a lot sexier Uh, than previous stuff at least overtly there's kind of more overt like allusions I guess to kind of OG like pop kind of very like early noughties like pop sounds um what inspired that turn for you you know it's something that I've actually always been inspired by
1: like even in like 2017 I remember thinking like I want to somehow be like it's like Britney Spears plus like a sleazy Las Vegas like the Las Vegas lounge singer, you know, is like how I how I thought yeah. of like of, <laughs> of like what, what I how I wanted to perform and like how I would like That's a m- great bio how I would like move my body on stage and like the outfits, you know, mm-hmm. um I would wear. I used to wear like just, like, Party City stuff, you know, that's, like, all, like, any beginning pop star can, you know, get their hands on, and I uh, I still make use of all of that stuff today, but, uh, you know, your Party City silver Zoolander blazer, um, Zoolander costume blazer, off-brand bootleg, and, uh, <laughs> and then, like, some, like, silver bikini top or whatever, and... Um, you know, it's like you got your Britney and you got your Liberace smashed into one. The two Are, genders. Exa- literally the two genders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that for me, I just I grew up in the era of Britney, really. And my dad was also a big Madonna fan as well Love. as like a big Rolling Stones fan and David Bowie and all of that. And for me, though, seeing like just that. Pop stardom that was like taken to a whole new height with Britney, especially, um and then Gaga and and Katy Perry was like a big influence on me too. I remember like watching the Katy Perry movie in like 2012 or whenever that was. Wait, that was a movie. Maybe, yeah, she like a documentary. Oh, I can't even remember what it was okay. called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like in theaters, or whatever. Um, but <laughs> that was those were some of my first like female idols because previously it had just been like male rock stars you know and i just the way that and gwen stefani was a big influence on oh, me too it. like i grew up with like listening to no doubt and her mm-hmm. solo stuff just seeing like the kind of power that that commands and the choreo and the and the dancing and the like theater of it all was really inspirational to me i was i grew up like as a theater kid so that was like a big yeah. thing for me i i enjoy seeing anybody in their pop star era like when people Mm. do choreo I like live for it like I don't know it's just it's something about like how extra it all is and it's like it's elevated above like I don't know like I think some people really want their pop star to be really relatable and strumming their acoustic guitar from their bedroom and like singing to them like they would if they were sitting right next to them I think also a lot of people want and I want my pop stars to be larger than life, like something transcendent that transcends Mm -hmm. like average human reality, you know, that is like whether it's like glamour or just seeing Super Bowl performance is like seeing an army at the command of one person that is the head of it. And there's like this glorification of the individual that just feels so like euphoric especially in our culture that has these hyper individualistic values that is like the ultimate expression of that to see like one individual like move their hand like Mm -hmm. michael jackson or something and like millions of people start cheering kind of thing it's just like it's like seeing jesus do something or like walk on water you know yeah it's just you're transcending our human reality when you're on stage and i think that that is something that i crave and I want to escape the mon- mundane life that, you know,
2: most of us are forced to lead. No, completely. And I, I guess that kind of takes us back to the linchpin of uh, fanfare as well, like this idea. And I think, again, the Internet plays like a part in this as well. But this very, yeah, I feel like nowadays the kind of celebrity that you've described, is very hyper real. Like, who did you grow up listening to that
1: influenced you as a kid or teen?
2: Oh, God. I have to be honest. I was very anti-pop for a long time. Um, Yeah, like I I was an emo child, obviously. So I think I like basically modeled my entire identity slash like maybe sexual preferences on Brian Mulko, who... Who is uh, that? (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So Brian... Oh, my God. I think I just died. Um, Brian Mulko is the lead singer of Placebo. Okay. Okay. So I was, yeah, I was definitely like a little placebo kid. I was very into... All the emo hallmarks, like, obviously, I also listen to the horrors, like that kind of stuff. But I would say that um, my kind of conceptual backbone is definitely <laughs> in, the, in the placebo camp of things. And it was only really later on that I started listening to more kind of pop music as I guess, like, remix culture and the internet, like, brought all of that to the fore. But yeah, like, embarrassingly, definitely MySpace. Um, I think that's actually a track, Wait, which it might be man-made horrors, actually. It starts, is that the one which starts with, like, the new um, metal-ish kind of, like, intro? I definitely, even, like, listening to that, got a bit of, like, mindless self-indulgence. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, which... I have to be honest, I was like into <laughs> yeah. Linkin Park, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm aware that when this, this podcast comes out, the album won't be out yet, but we do have the track list. Some things, I guess, I would love to spotlight. So there's a few tracks. uh, One, Man-Made Horrors, which um, I just mentioned, and Touch Grass. Um, I feel like so both of those kind of take their starting points as memes. So Man-Made Horrors is obviously kind of a nod to um, Man-Made Horrors Beyond Our Comprehension, um, referring to, I guess, our kind of current state of unreality and post-capitalism. And Touch Grass is both something i need to do. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, after this we should go touch some grass. <laughs> We're rolling around in grass after this. And
2: um where where are we? Canary Canary Wharf? Wharf? Yeah. <laughs>
1: rolling uh, around on concrete. Yeah.
2: Go. With, with the city bros. Um but oh maybe maybe they should go in your next. next <laughs> Yeah. Album. Oh yeah. But um yeah, i guess so taking these memes as a starting point like what what drew you to those those two for instance?
1: Yeah, i mean, i just Really loves seeing like touch grass as a meme, especially in the past few years. It's become like extremely relevant. And just, you know, I guess if anyone's not familiar, the idea that you are saying something that is like so absurd that is like you could only think if you were so hyper online and so disconnected from the real world that you really had no idea like what you were talking about and you need a reality check, you need to go outside and touch grass. So it's like a simple way of like, owning somebody online and just yeah. being like bro like get your head out of your ass you know yeah. and also thinking like but like literally touching grass I've had to be dragged out by friends to like go on a walk or like mm. be in nature you know before and like it's something I'm trying to do a lot more of it was never like a natural inclination for me I was always like an indoors kid always watched a bunch of TV and cartoons and I didn't really do a lot of, like, outdoor activities and so it wasn't something that came naturally to me but I've recently enjoyed, like, so much more of that and, like, looking forward to doing more and it's so good for mental health. Like, it's, it's, like, hilarious how, like, good of a cure that it is. It's so simple that it's, like, easy to parody and be, like literally just touch, literally just go just outside touch and touch grass, grass. and it's like this is funny because there's like in my neighborhood there's some like a couple of like AstroTurf like lawns that people have and stuff and <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna go touch out. yeah touch AstroTurf is like Micro get plastics. my exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make and I still might I was like I should make like a mouse pad that's like like when I made the like the ass mouse pad or, like you know the boob mouse pads but like it's that but it's like grass that you can just touch <gasps> when you're like at your computer
2: <laughs> I love that yeah so
1: if there's a demand for it I'll see if there is but uh, yeah Good. well I'm, I'm down um,
2: but yeah I also there's, there's a lyric if, if you don't mind me sharing mm-hmm. it as well um, in it which is touch grass shake that ass I have to say that in a really bad American accent yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah it doesn't work how do you say it in British it'd be like touch, touch grass touch grass shake that arse <laughs> it kind
2: of works and like, <laughs> but no just like genius like again like just really snappy witty lyricism which I just love love to hear hopefully i don't get sued by lmfao for that but we'll find out yeah (laughs) um but also yeah man-made horrors as well um so yeah like has this amazing kind of new metal breakdown at the beginning goes into these big kind of like poppy like stabby epic sounds and i just love that you reference obviously um Examples of like how absurd late capitalism is. So talk about having um, tattoos of a Tesla, a Che Guevara shirt from Zara on sale. What are your thoughts on all of this, more generally, actually?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like we grew up in an era of, you know, we were sold this idea that technology and capitalism through innovation was going to solve all of the world's problems through making everything easier, faster, more accessible and that has led to things like Amazon prime 2-day shipping which is obviously like horribly um, polluting to the environment when like we're been crafting a whole economy that is based on paying people shit wages but their goods are produced in like horrible sweatshops overseas and that the cost of living can be lowered because the goods are so cheap. So our entire economy is like very frailly built on, on this like unsustainable kind of like exchange, you know, with the accessibility of anything that you can buy, anything that you could desire, anything that you could want. You can get an American psycho shower curtain delivered to your house in two days. And that's not even a crazy one. Like yeah. you can get absolutely like a meme of like, that was like big like 3 days ago you can get a printed like pair of boxer shorts or anything that you yeah. want like on Amazon or any other any any other like company <laughs> Alibaba, Alibaba exactly and it's like there are factories where you know it's horrible people breathing in like horrible chemicals to produce like a gag gift that's going to be like not ever used and just like instantly like thrown away is like it's the most psycho but then you also when you're thinking about like the things that people are making it's like you can't help but like laugh at the horror of it because it's like well first of all we're like as an individual we feel helpless and so what we can only do in the face of like something so disturbing is, is to laugh as a defense mechanism for not feeling constant depression and anxiety and helplessness. I, I think one of the examples of like, you will live to see man-made horrors beyond your comprehension is like this, uh, pair of underwear that where you can put like your penis through it, but it's like a minion's face or something. Ah, yeah. And so I, I, we just said like minion with a strap on or so, or the minion. T- I can't even remember what we, what, what the yeah. lyric is now, but like, yeah, just <laughs> it's some, something like that. And like, um just the idea that you know every human whim and fancy is satisfied it's very like we're living in this era of like we're all a roman emperor that like gets anything we want at any time and that's always a a
2: sign of like a civilization about to collapse you know no a hundred percent it's definitely this kind of like laugh cry feeling and it's like yeah we're the roman emperor but we're also like the techno surf at the same time Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not like any kind of individual behavior change and like one person can really shift this and it kind of just like all boils down to, yeah, like the big tech companies and like all of mm-hmm. these people and like the way that society's kind of headed in that sense. So like the mischief boots that you were wearing at New York Fashion Week actually, was it was it last season? In um, February of this year, In yeah. February, yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed like literally within like days of that, you could get like fake versions of those mischief boots like immediately. Like amazing outfit as well, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> like really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, just seeing how like the internet feeds into capitalism, which feeds back into real life, which then feeds back into the internet, and seeing almost like these feedback loops is really like brainwormy for me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and just that the cycle of everything is getting so much quicker. The cycle of trends coming in and out, and the cycle of you know, corresponding with the cycle of production and that we can mm. create things and you know, destroy him and more instantly with things like shein and fashion nova and and you know things like that the tiktok micro trends and all of this yeah. you know it's um it's all part of the same thing and like the nostalgia like cycle coming back like quicker than ever also is yeah. super interesting and scary but also exciting if like from an artistic perspective because it's sort of like mm-hmm. e- everything is in but also out, you know, yeah. and it can be. And, like, I think that that's cool because we have transcended the era of hipsterdom, which was initially built on the sort of, like, sticking your nose up at pop music, which I also used to do, mm-hmm. and sticking your nose up at mainstream culture, to then ironic appropriation of things from the past, like Paps Blue Ribbon Beer and, like, ugly Christmas sweaters, which then became very mainstream to where now it used to be you'd get your ugly Christmas sweaters at a thrift store, and that was the whole thing. Now you can go in to like, party city and and like costume shops and buy like ugly christmas sweaters that are being produced like because of this trend of like digging up something from the past Mm. and now we're making more of it to like fuel that desire yeah i'm definitely on a tangent with that but it's all stimulating to
2: my mind (laughs) yeah no we 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 definitely live in a society (laughs) well i don't know i have to challenge you on that one (laughs) Um, But no, also um, what I've loved watching as well is kind of your style evolution. Obviously, kind of like earlier albums, you had this, like the kind of Dorian mustache. Recently, seeing your style evolve has been been really amazing. And I guess it'd be great to hear, like, what what are some of your style icons?
1: You know, I've always been really inspired by like various historical fashion, especially Mm -hmm. really flamboyant masculine like dandy fashion like Oscar Wilde was a big inspiration to me mm-hmm. in awesome. high school and stuff like that and I was I you know I was named after like the picture of Dorian Gray so oh. Okay. Yeah. So like as a kid, I was like, oh, I should like read the kids version of this, which is actually amazing. I can't remember. It's like such and such illustrated classics. And it's like hand drawn images of like illustrating the book. And it's like kind of censored for kids. And like the yeah. language is a bit like simplified. But those books are fucking sick. Like, but yes, yeah, so well like I remember reading that in like fourth grade, like mm-hmm. nine years old or whatever connecting to it in the way of like this is like my legacy like I was like you know whatever and um, I think that was super influential on me especially just in terms of like my sexuality seeing and like my gender identity seeing the kind of like feminine masculinity and like dandy masculinity Mm -hmm. and all of that that I really love was like a big inspo for me.
2: Yeah, it's like I, I definitely feel like you have this. I mean, both sonically, aesthetically, visually, like this kind of shapeshiftery quality. And what I kind of connect to with it a lot is this almost kind of larping sensibility. Like I guess in a very literal sense, you see in your music videos. Um, there's like references against like medievalism and like Renaissance. Am I just picking? I'm just picking. No, that's things true. Out at this point. Oh yeah, you see a,
1: you see a. A ruff, a collar, a, a, a frill. You know what's going down, Renaissance yeah. style.
2: <laughs> exactly. But then you get that, like, then kind of juxtaposed with, like, very, like, post-internet fashion, like, on freak mode and, like, um your kind of I love sodomy caps and the merch that came out recently and kind of seeing this all kind of put together is both, like, emblematic of, like, the flattening of culture online, but also just, like, a fucking joy to watch as well. (laughs) Um, But kind of going back to the, like, historical revisionism, like, the fantasy side of it, um, I'd love to know what draws you to all of that as well.
1: Totally. I mean, I think that plain nostalgia and retro stuff is just super boring to me and I think mm. it's so easy it's very easy for someone to make a Pinterest board for a music video that's like I'm gonna go for an 80s vibe yeah. I'm like okay I mean that's classic that's cool but like 80s and what you know <laughs> like I, I'm just bored like I just want to see something more yeah mm. and I think like you know we, we really can't create anything brand new so the only way to do it is like just trying to pick things that maybe are unconventional to go together in some way. Mm. And uh, for me, that's always a challenge every video. And it can be exhausting. Like, with my creative director, Weston Allen, and I will be like, okay, are we going to do this? We're like, God, that's so cliche. Are we really fucking going to do that again? Or, like, are we really, like, we're just doing this? There's no twist? We're like, okay, there's this. But then what's the twist? Like, Mm. you know, it's always something that we, like, we probably spend way too much time thinking about it. Um, But... You know, it's like if we're going to do Renaissance, we're going to do medieval. okay. but yeah, what is what what other elements are we mixing in with it? Or if we are doing an 80s vibe, like what are we contrasting it with to
2: switch it up? Mm, yeah, like I've, I've really been getting into, and this will relate to what you're saying, <laughs> I've been really getting into kind of speculative fiction recently. And I think it kind of has parallels to that in that it's like, okay, we're drawing on or like in your music videos and your songs, like you're drawing on um, kind of historical aspects, um, kind of merging with fantasy to kind of create these alternate realities. And I think that gives like a lot of scope to kind of explore new themes, like, or not even new themes, but themes, both new future and past mm-hmm and kind of like combining that with like the politics of now it adds like a really really interesting twist like even with LARPing especially a lot of people would say that the kind of world we live and this relates to fan culture as well but like everything is a LARP like when I log on online of course I'm LARPing Um, like what is a celebrity a celebrity um, creates an identity anyone creates an identity and like it's, it's a lot. Like, I don't know. What, what what do you think? Totally. I
1: mean, I feel like music videos especially, like you can create a world that is beyond like this reality. And that's why music videos are like so fun and so important to me. And yeah, like you're talking about like creating a fantasy or an alternate reality, like with Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, taking a biblical story and then turning it into this like, but fusing it with this like very trashy, like, we got a lot of inspiration from like, miami souvenir shops and hollywood boulevard souvenir shops plus like imagining like people going back to sodom and gomorrah as like a tourist attraction and seeing like this town that had been destroyed by god's wrath and then but they're taking photos and like buying the t-shirt and that really is actually i was also like on the mood board for the merch was like you can go to like the like chernobyl has which is horrifying they sell like merchandise where it's mm-hmm. like a little nuclear symbol on like a little like green vat of goo but it's actually like strawberry flavored or like whatever it is mm-hmm. and like you can buy that in a vending machine or like Pompeii like yeah. um, the 9-11 memorial
2: thing in New York yes yeah, so like, that is insane to me and then the, and the gift shop is even yeah. is, is, <laughs> is is crazy
1: but actually I went to this amazing Titanic exhibit <gasps> last week in LA with my dad amazing. and I was just oh my god I was like I cannot wait till we get to that gift shop it's like we just learned about this the whole of this and like these corporations that put these people's lives in danger for like greed and all this and then we go and it's like oh let me buy the titanic hoodie this is so slay but there's just something that's like so horrifying and also so delightful to like my brain about that mm-hmm. i just wanted to recreate that or like pompeii you can go and like get a decorative plate of like that features a drawing of a position, like a sex position or like a screaming position that somebody was in when they, at their last moments of their life. Wait, there were people fucking when they died? Yeah. Oh yeah, they had like brothels and they were seeing people do like, they know a lot about like Roman sexual life from people doing things in Pompeii. They saw like anal sex and gay sex and like all kinds of things. It's really crazy, but you can buy commemorative keychain of like somebody fucking somebody in the ass, which I'm like, let's fucking go. Like, why the fuck not? But, like, I just love the idea. I'm like, who's profiting off of that? Also, you go and, like, all of it's, like, made in the same factory. It's like
2: It's going to be Bezos, isn't it? it exactly. <laughs> like, it's, it's,
1: it's not going to be, like, I wish it was, like, the descendants of, like, the Pompeii people or something like that. But it's clear. <laughs> I mean, and I just love, like, when I was on tour in Europe last year going mm-hmm. to souvenir shops in every city and seeing, like, what does a culture or a history get boiled down to that people want to take a piece of and take it with them home Mm -hmm. so whether that was in Switzerland it's like the little like cow like keychains and the cowbells and stuff or like Rome you know you get like the Pope merch the Pope merch goes crazy I have not
2: seen the Pope merch that sounds great though that shit is
1: fire on another level because you know also it's like this is not official like Vatican merch but Mm -hmm. like you can buy like a rosary Mm -hmm. or whatever and I love that that's like a holy object to people and that has a mm-hmm. lot of meaning, but it's just like a cheap thing made in some like sweatshop. Like it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, but yet like it, it's imbued with this meaning because you're in this place and you're like, I got this special thing at this place in this time. Yeah. And there's something powerful about like, it's like an object that has power, Mm -hmm. like a souvenir. I'm obsessed with souvenirs for that reason. It's like, it's emblematic of like an experience. It's not just like a regular object. It's like, it's a transcendent object. Mm -hmm. And I, I like the idea of like trying to create something like that too with, you know. With my merch. So anyway, merch.dorianelectra.com. You can go and buy my merch. I'm having a great sale right now. Go and buy some transcendent objects and live
2: a better life. Okay, so one thing that I think you're very clever at is the merch rollouts. um, Or like even, was it like right before Freak Mode got released? um, You like got people to pledge for something? Like Mm -hmm. what was it exactly? So
1: it's like pledging like a fraternity where you basically like sign up to be chosen and then you have to go through like hazing and do all this other crazy stuff Um, yeah to like I mean it's actually horrifying and people like die from alcohol poisoning Mm. due to like being like forced to like chug a bottle of vodka through a funnel just like absolutely awful abusive stuff frats and sororities are you know one of the kind of more mainstream like secret societies it's like a way that people actually seek community in like American culture and as fucked up as a lot of it is There are some cool elements that, like, in our atomized world, you know, people do need community. And, like, Mm. that is, you know, a form of at least that people try to have. But anyway, the pledging thing. I did have people, like, pledge to the Freak Mode Brotherhood. That was was, It was great. It was fun. Many pledges, many new pledges, many new uh, brothers— you know, welcomed into our community.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, because it just kind of reminded me as well of I guess with um, like my agenda. I kind of like in your past projects as well. There was like obviously the furries. Was it the expansion pack you modeled as like? Was it a PS? No, it was an Xbox like game like case. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was there? You had like the mouse pads like with the like big titty mm-hmm. Dorian. Was it you? I yeah, can't it was remember. actually it was it was me. Big ass in like oh, yeah.
1: cargo shorts with fedora. So, like, oh, amazing! Yeah, okay. big butt, uh,
2: <laughs> big <laughs> yeah, butt cargo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, yeah, again, yeah. So you have like the fedoras, you have like all these like amazing things. i like, how how do you like even conceptualize this, especially with the new merch as well? Like, it's nice to see a progression.
1: <laughs> totally, it was actually. I had some of these merch ideas before the last album, before I even wrote the music on some of them. Like, I was like, I knew I wanted to sell fedoras because I just thought like, also there's like a weird power of, I'm like, I know that I can do something that will transform the most hated hat Mm -hmm. in the world. (laughs) The most reviled object in fashion, perhaps into something that, could be seen as cool that people would actually wear to my shows Mm -hmm. there's like something so fascinating to me just about like the the power of like transformation of meaning that can happen with art and like of like an everyday object it's like magic in a way you know like yeah
2: and then people wear fedoras to my shows the end (laughs) wait do they actually yes oh yeah oh my god Amazing. oh yeah okay (laughs) which is iconic (laughs) because I feel like the fedora as like this kind of I don't even want to say status symbol. If fedora is like a cultural symbol, is like what comes into my head. It's been very interesting seeing the history of fedora's. I haven't looked into it. You probably know a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like the fedora atheist, for instance, yes. is probably the least sexy like emblem of atheism out there right now. Would you identify as a fedora atheist or in
1: high school? Absolutely. I was giving Fedora Atheist. I went to like atheist meetup groups. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, my God. My parents are
2: very atheist as well. Like, yeah, It was, it was really, the era.
1: Absolutely. I'm talking mm-hmm. like 2008. Like, I wasn't on Reddit, but I was very Reddit adjacent. I would say like all of my mm-hmm. friends were that vibe. You know, it's like a form of like rebellion. And I mean, actually, my I went to the groups with my mom. She actually had her Atheist Awakening. At wow. the same time that I did as like a 14-year-old. I'm
0: like, I'm cute. Yeah. And
1: I mean, like now, I mean, I would never say like I'm atheist. I'm just like, oh, I'm, you know, agnostic or mm-hmm. whatever. But um, it was fun to be dogmatic about that. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to feel certain about something. Mm-hmm. It was fun to feel like you had the answers. I actually look back upon that time as like with nostalgia, like, damn, remember when it was just enough to be like, you know government don't tell me what to do and war is bad and god is fake and like the, the you felt so enlightened and like there's a, there's a meme that's like i am enlightened by my own intelligence i don't need a false god to like whatever and it's like yes. i am euphoric in this moment i am euphoric like from you know this like knowingness exactly. and like the, like the power of my individual intelligence and it's like a joke about like how like crazy hilarious like dumb this whole vibe is But I'm also like, low-key, I related so much. And I'm like, take me back to a simpler time when like all I had to do to be subversive Mm -hmm. and to like feel empowered and feel like excited by like the world was like, I love Charles Darwin and like evolution is real. And, you know, I'm like being from Texas too. Like, you know, it felt.
2: Oh, true. That felt like that was being radical enough. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it was, it was a simpler time. I definitely understand what you mean about simpler times. At least then, there was at least like a semblance of a consensus reality. Like, okay, the internet had like obviously started like generating kind of conspiracies and like alternative histories. Kind of post 9-11, there was definitely like this feeling of narratives kind of being fed to us, but it was before it really got like turbocharged Mm -hmm. into this kind of very like post 2016 landscape that we're we're living in now. Mm Mm-hmm. You touch on conspiracies a lot, not so much in this album, but in your kind of previous, um, in your previous works, like I felt it not so much maybe in this album, perhaps, but definitely in your uh, last album with the track, My Agenda. Then the music video really um, builds on Alex Jones, like the Manosphere, Alex Jones's um, idea of the water turning the frogs gay. I guess throughout like your online presence, there are kind of like these little nods towards kind of conspiracies and the absurdity of like such conspiracies um but also I guess yeah like and this is something we've spoken about previously as well and every conspiracy there's a grain of truth but it'd be really great to kind of get your thoughts on all of this and how conspiracy culture is actually evolving now which I feel especially in the last two years it's gone like beautifully insane
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah there's so much crazy stuff with conspiracy theories and the history of it is also amazing like i watched some youtube video that came up with my algorithm that was like ancient conspiracy theories Ooh, like i'll have to send this yeah, to you oh but God, yeah like ones that like like the romans had and and all this and i think like what it is at the core of conspiracy theories is that they reflect the culture's fears, hopes and aspirations or terrors of that moment, Yeah, especially with the waters turning the frogs gay, it comes from a very real fear of environmental pollutants mm-hmm. that is actually true. Like there are endocrine disrupting chemicals that are affecting animals and human beings in yeah. food and agricultural runoff and water that we do consume. Um, that's causing illness infertility etc that is all true and you can google that the idea that it's wrapped up in another fear of like traditional family values being undermined and like gender identity becoming more fluid in our society there's a you know marriage of those two fears that also it's understandable that people have those fears you know I wouldn't say like people that have those fears are just purely reactionary i mean we are at a crazy time that we are changing also very rapidly how things have happened and um Mm -hmm. there's going to naturally be a lot of like cultural clash over that and time that's necessary for people to understand the ways that things are changing to process that and there's going to be a lot of like backlash and back and forth and reactionary vibes on both sides and whatever but um yeah with conspiracy theories i think that like you said there is often a grain of truth and it's something that we like throw out easily but they're important to look at as like our vehicles of collective storytelling definitely and like the JFK assassination also was like a big in the early 60s was at the very beginning of a collective feeling amongst baby boomers that because of like later vietnam and whatever that we could no longer trust mm-hmm. our government And that sentiment was like the beginning of the collapse of like consensus, mainstream reality and like mainstream ideas of like media is always telling the truth and you can get, you know, verifiable news. And like I think that conspiracy theories started poking holes in in those narratives. And that was like really made sense with like the rise of like hippie and counterculture and um, all those political ideas and various time periods. One that I learned about recently that's really cool is like, I can't remember what it exactly it's called, but it's like a London one that was from like the 1800s. That was about mm. people f- reported seeing, like physically seeing this like demon that was like would dance on rooftops and like kidnap people and all this stuff. And it was because of the like the smoke in the city had become so toxic and like so polluting. And it was like the era of like the smokestacks and totally unregulated beginnings of the industrial revolution and Mm -hmm. so forth that it was like this collective fear of like industry and like being polluted. And that, you know, people were like experiencing like lung like sickness and all this, but it manifested in like people like actually thinking that they saw this same with like ufo sightings and Mm -hmm. things like that too you know like expressing like cold war anxieties also just like the space age like what is in the beyond you know so there's always something interesting to learn about a conspiracy theory and i've learned so much about like conspiracy theories now from looking at them in history and seeing like because it was easier hindsight's 2020 to see like oh we can tell now that like that was an
2: expression of those cultural anxieties and blah 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 Mm -hmm. but yeah it's super fascinating yeah, no, I, I find it really interesting how these kind of um, collective fears and desires get distilled into subcultures as well. So like, I know you were talking about the smog, um, like seeing how like steampunk is almost to go back to steampunk. Yes, <laughs> always back always, to steampunk. All roads <laughs> lead back to steampunk. But like how if like, OK, that kind of smoke demon is like the fears, then seeing how in like retrospect, people are looking at like, OK, at least, you know, this was a time when technology was exciting, um, whereas... Now, like, there's nothing to look forward to because billionaires are just, like, putting their money into mission meals in space and, like, submarines that explode. Or, like, how goth cultures, um, like, there's a lot of, like, kind of stuff about, like, satanic panic boiled into um, kind of external perceptions of goths in, what was it, like, the 80s and stuff. So I find that really interesting. But it would be, what, what kind of subcultures have you got into recently? I feel like you're quite a connoisseur. <laughs> a little less so subcultures and more so
1: history I would say I've just like mm. really been diving in the last like year or so one thing that I think has been really illuminating and I think you'll find this interesting as it relates to like you all of your research and work is the history of apocalyptic fear like the mm. fear that the world is ending and that we feel that very much presently right now yeah and we feel that it's true because we are right now. Look how much history we have behind us. Mm-hmm. We have all these reasons to believe that, like, the earth is dying, you know, nuclear, like, catastrophe, potential, all of these various things. But the Romans thought the world was going to end. People in Jesus's time thought that the world was going to end. It doesn't mean that it's not going to end, like, mm-hmm. now. Like, you know, it, it's it, we're more in the future. It seems more likely that we're closer <laughs> to the end now, et cetera. But, and also with cults, been, I, I will like get into a lot of like cult oh, documentaries love. and stuff. Yeah. and it's a lot of it is always about the end of the world mm-hmm. and like the the constant, you know, fear and anxiety about that. And what's interesting is that various times in history, there has been that sentiment for various reasons, and usually it's a lot of like economic, upheaval change uncertainty which we are now in like our late capitalist um like you know late-stage capitalism like we're feeling that very intensely um with like job uncertainty recession happening yeah but it's also has it made me slightly more optimistic thinking like maybe capitalism won't ruin the earth like maybe there is a way out maybe there is an alternative because capitalism makes it seem like there really is no alternative Mm -hmm. I think learning about history has been a bit comforting for me because it's shown me that like there have been times like the plague mm-hmm. god I mean when when one in three people you know are dead you're thinking this is literally the end of the world like there's no way out of this This is and the there's most no whole- science to
2: back it up as well so you're like okay it's obviously God punishing us like- clearly
1: and and I feel like we think that we're beyond those kind of fear and anxieties because mm-hmm. we have science now we're not just sitting here saying like it's God punishing us but no we are human beings we are like mm-hmm. we have the same nature of like wanting to find reasons for things that we can't explain and we will use whatever we can do to like try to craft a narrative that helps us explain the hellscape that we might be living in but i think that the gen z like doom and gloom of like end of the worldness like you know, I'm just going to like have a $50 Postmates uh, DoorDash brunch because ordered to my door because
2: I am not going to ever own a house. You know, like there's just like all the like hedonistic, like, uh, yeah, like the nihilistic tone and like, oh, the world's ending. So fuck everyone. I'm going to be a tradcast.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And it's like the the, the meaning and like nothing matters because like the world is ending kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are at that particular moment, but I don't think that that necessarily is going to last forever. Just looking at trends in history, I think we're, In that moment. And I think Mm. for me, it's been a source of depression and anxiety. So I'm looking for a way out of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be hopeful about the future. And it's really fucking scary time to live in right now. But I do think that there is some hope. And I hope that I could hopefully bring that to people. Once I figure out a bit more about what the fuck's going on,
2: it's <laughs> like, watch this
1: space. Um, no. <laughs> watch this big things coming.
2: <laughs> big things coming. No, um, yeah, I feel like the answer to some of this, and you definitely allude to it in the album as well. So with Touchgrass, mm-hmm. you're kind of talking about ecocide at one point, then in Lifetime, it's kind of touching on everything you just said. I think we're gonna be, be here for longer than we want to be, expect to be. But yeah, I feel like it always just boils down to storytelling. Like, yeah, We did reach a point, I think it probably reached like fever pitch last year with Gen Z and everyone being nihilistic and being like, fuck everything. But I think it's really important to be like, okay, yeah, we are in this post-capitalist hellscape yeah there's not a lot of like options for us as like individuals with downward mobility like a looming climate crisis like all this stuff but like what can we take from this chaos to actually move forward and I really believe that that's where like storytelling myth-making kicks in and again that like relates to what we were talking about earlier with like alternative histories and like yeah I feel like There's a lot of stuff that we can take from this to, like, move forward. I don't know. Totally. Yeah, I mean, throughout history, I think the
1: pendulum always swings between, like, tech optimism. Mm. Like, the Arab Spring, Twitter will set us free. Democracy, it's going to give everyone a voice to oh my God, social media is destroying our brains and it's making us like all hate each other and it's leading to political polarization, like tech pessimism. And the pendulum swings back and forth between them. They're both valid in different ways and it's like a very natural thing. Same with like electricity and like, you know, the very beginnings of computers being used for things and then now with AI. And it's like, it's really scary. the time that we're living in. Yeah, I think like art and storytelling, like you're saying, always do help to guide the collective storytelling that we are participating in, whether that's through science fiction, whether that is through music and film. Um, And I think, yeah, artists do have responsibility to like weirdly participate in that dialogue and like be, listening and then, like, reflecting back what they see in the world, I think, is at least that's a responsibility that I feel. I don't think all musicians Mm -hmm. especially. Like, I think I want a lot of my musicians to just give me some escapism, (laughs) some let's go to the club, let's fucking get the fuck out of here vibes. Mm -hmm. Um... You know, for me, I just can't help myself.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's that timely online symptom. But also, I'm like, what is internet culture? What, what, what are memes, if not the folklore and storytelling of our times now? Exactly. And, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> what you do as well it's it's like fucking hard when you think about it because okay so we're like talking about these big concepts we're talking about late capitalism we're talking about conspiracies like all these heavy very complex very not black and white very grayscale things you're distilling them into like kind of amazing pop songs like things um that just like feel chaotic and immediate in in like the best possible way and um, so that's cool. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, well,
1: it's funny because I think like, I, I mean, I just respect and love what you do so much. Like when you're actually writing about something and I find that really challenging because you have to like present a clear thesis and you have to back up the points that you're saying. Whereas like, you know, with music, it is much more of like painting a picture and you can use irony and sincerity and live in that ambiguity in a beautiful way like i can sing a song from the perspective of a villain Mm -hmm. or you know playfully talk about something that is so absurd that i definitely don't agree with like really hateful messages on like my agenda or like Mm -hmm. self-hateful messages like saying stuff like i'm ugly and things and it's like you know from a perspective that would otherwise be viewed as like harmful to yourself. But in the context of like art and music, you're able to have a safer space to like explore the nuances of those perspectives, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think definitely. it's like really cathartic
2: and really healthy and necessary. I mean, thank you. And one thing, it just popped into my head and I should have mentioned it earlier, but puppets. Oh, a puppet, yeah. Even singular, puppet singular. Um, I've listened to it. I love it. I guess the question I was going to ask you is um, what subculture do you see not coming back for me I've I've been like a huge lover of puppets anyone who knows me I'm always like yo puppets need to be cool again like they haven't been cool since Jim Henson so seeing you bring this back into like the mainstream discourse like thank you, you you've done me a solid um, but I guess like that song also like the fact that you can talk about like Miss Piggy in like a sexy I guess she is kind of sexy but like in like a sexy way is is great but yeah, I guess that brings me on to the questions. Like, are there any um, aesthetics or subcultures? Like, do you see anything which you're literally just like, not even I will to touch that?
1: I I know what the next thing, the big I know what the next big thing is going to be, and uh, it's really just a matter of whether or not I'm in the mood to reveal it to mm. resident advisor listeners right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Gonselli, I think I will. All right, here's the next thing. Mm. It's musical theater. Clearly, oh,
2: love. Okay, clearly,
1: it's been the ha- most hated. Mm but it is the most secretly beloved thing.
2: That's true, you know.
1: Everyone that I know was a theater kid, but ashamed to admit it. Mm -hmm. You know how emo has had its resurgence? I was a theater kid. Yes. I'm coming out now, actually. Exactly. Okay, so Mm -hmm. everyone that I've talked to, like, (laughs) I did, like, an interview with, like, uh, BBC and then, like, Apple Music and, like, everyone that I've talked Mm -hmm. to, I, like, bring up, like, Les Mis is, like, big Mm -hmm. inspo for... um, Some of the songs on this album and it's my favorite musical and uh, the music is just incredible. People will be like, oh, my God, wait, I'm a hugely miss, miss Stan. Like, (laughs) do you hear the people sing, singing the song whatever? And it's just like the way that people are coming out of the closet because, you know, it's cool to be. Oh, I was emo back then. Mm -hmm. And like people sharing their emo pictures. But, dude, that is only in the last, like, five or so years that that has been seen as cool. It has taken people so long. They needed to to distance themselves from it so much. And theater kids have such a bad reputation for being annoying and whatever, which obviously I understand. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a big thing. I was like, oh, God, like, you know, I never want to be like that. Even when I was in theater, I'm like, I'm not like those kids. You know what I mean? Like, there was still that. I have
2: a bad rap. Yeah,
1: and, I mean, I get it. But I think that there's – it's all about to come out and it's about to be something that people wear with pride. And it's about to be just this like wholehearted embrace of like camp again. And like, Unabashed love of it that I think is about to enter, and it's going to be cringe too. Mm-hmm. It's we're going to. It's not always going to be the revival is not not going to be like cool as well. And then obviously it never went away in certain areas. But I'm talking about
2: amongst like the cool vibe. You know what I mean? You know what? No, I, I actually think you're onto it. You're onto something because um, even like another example that comes into my head: model actors like the New York group um, inspired by Cats the musical in their recent album, and again like merging like indie electronic music, Cats the musical like you're talking about musicals like hey everyone's coming out as a musical lover like I see this
1: definitely <laughs> and and I also think that you know music always fluctuates between like authenticity and theater, you know? Like people either want like the big pop show that is like larger than life and then they get sick of the glamour and the glitz. They want the stripped down grunge, Kurt Cobain, unwashed hair, flannel shirt, guitar, authenticity, or they want the bedroom pop girly or they want, you know, throughout history, like, you know, I just read this book about the history of celebrity and the Beatles they were talking about were actually viewed as very authentic which nowadays seems crazy because we think of the. I mean I always thought of the Beatles as kind of like cookie cutter corporate like mm. matching suits but they were actually viewed as authentic because they were they wrote their own songs but a lot of the, the mm. teen idols that were like corporately constructed of that day did not write their own songs That's and true, obviously yeah. Elvis was also considered to be more authentic than a lot of people and primarily because they were ripping off black music and black, like rock and roll music that was viewed as like authentic and against like the uptight establishment and whatever. But yeah, culture always oscillates between that. And I think that we are done with like the whole performative authenticity of like sharing like your like what you ate for lunch on Instagram and like here's you're just, my girl here's my girl dinner. Like I'm a celeb that's like just like you. Like. Mm-hmm we like that but we also like we're like we know it's all fake like at first we were like no we want real and then now we're like well we know it's fake so why not just have it both ways why not just put on a fucking show I don't know I'm still crafting the thesis there but I think there's something to it to figure out
2: no no definitely like I think like going back to the Beatles and Elvis as an example like of course in retrospect in like whatever state of social media like world we're in now where like even like someone with 100 followers is like crafting a personality of course like they're gonna seem authentic in comparison but yeah even then like I feel like the cult of celebrity the idea of like a sculpted fantasy identity that you then, like, construct and build and kind of project onto the world. It's been around forever, Mm -hmm. but, like, why not just embrace it at the same time?
1: You know what I think is a good example of the authenticity question is the photo dump.
2: Mm. and the oh that was so so calculated exactly like. <laughs> like the way
1: that it's like you know top pop stars doing the photo dump like mm. because we were like we want authenticity we want to see the meal you ate we want to see an unflattering selfie we want to see and then that becomes calculated too yeah, it's like yeah. everything becomes commodified under capitalism mm-hmm. and i think that is the feeling of like we cannot escape that so why don't we just in some absurd embrace of both? Like stop rebelling, start embracing, but also rebe- I don't know, I I haven't yeah, figured it out yeah. yet. But there's is something on the horizon,
2: you know. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it. I guess kind of rounding off our conversation. What's next for you? What's what's next for Doreen Electra? Any Super Bowls? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got a couple of Super Bowls in the works. Um, Under my
2: sleeve. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to work on new music already, which is kind of scary, because I generally don't like working on new music till the other music is out, because I just like to know, like, what resonates with people, you know? Like, what are people feeling? Like, I, I think it's a very back and forth process. But it's also good to, like, just get in the studio. Lots of new music videos that I'm working on, which is, like, my favorite thing and um the live performance working on that which is hopefully
2: going to be insane and it's going to be a lot of work but it's going to be crazy (laughs) amazing thank you so much for joining me today This, this has been a great conversation and very excited for the new album
0: Thank you for listening to this R.A. Exchange with Dorian Electra. The track you heard in this episode is Sodom and Gomorrah by The Artist, the first single from their album Fanfare out on October 6th. Many thanks to Gonzali Yelkinkaya for moderating this conversation, Guy Clark for editing assistance, Tom Mertens and the team at Satellite 414, and Dorian Electra, of course, for the wonderful interview. This episode was recorded in association with The Cube, where I like to produce all of the Resident Advisor podcasts when I'm not in Berlin. It's London's first member studio for music and content creators. The Cube membership offers a monthly allocation of studio time, giving you the right space, infrastructure, and network to create effortlessly cube's mission is to empower creatives to make a living from their art while benefiting from a carefully curated community so if you're a music producer songwriter artist photographer or podcaster and would like to apply for membership head over to thecube.com. cube.com the cube is spelt with a q and check out their membership tiers which start from 90 pounds per month including studio time if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the RA Exchange and listen to our full archive of conversations on RA.co or on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. If you have ideas for guests you would like to hear on the podcast or stories you'd like to share, please send us an email at exchange at RA.co. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.